notes in the app, which is why we do that, so you can stay focused. But if your neighbor's angry birding it up over there, tell them to focus. Hey, you know, we laugh about distraction, but it's actually really deadly. Um, in 2018, 400,000 people were injured in America in roads traveling uh, because of distracted driving. Uh, close to 3,000 people were killed because of distracted driving. This is four years ago. A study by the AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety found that distracted driving is responsible for 58% of teen driver crashes. And according to a study by the Virginia Transportation Institute, says that texting increases the risk of crash or near crash by 23 times. So you think about that for just a second. If you want to find the fastest way, you know, to like be risky, just pull that phone out and text. I mean, I love the uh, sign that says honk if you love Jesus, text if you want to meet him. You know, um, like it's real. Okay? It's like real. Um, it's a problem. And it's not just in driving. Distraction is problematic in our lives. It, it's interesting to me. Just go on Amazon and you'll find books like Deep Work by Cal Newport or uh, How to Break Up with Your Phone by Catherine Price or Hyper Focus by Chris Bailey. All of these books are, are big sellers. Why? Because people are distracted. I put on my Instagram story this week, uh, what distracts you? Phone was the number one answer. Um, it's, it's hugely distracting. And like it's all summed up there like in like one giant pill, like to have ADD is right here, you know, because... You know, you may not be a game player, but it's it's coming to you in the news, or it's the texts, or it's the it's the whatever. I I, I noticed this is a few years ago uh, that my attention span was just constantly being interrupted, which it doesn't need help doing. If you know me, you know like my attention span is tenuous at best, and I was constantly getting these texts and notifications, and I was like, what is going on? And it was like everybody was texting me. This was actually happening in, in the middle of the sermon. And I'm like, something has happened. Something bad has happened. And it was like, hey, Mazatlan misses you. Come back today for 25% off. And I thought, here, like my whole, like, my train of thought has been derailed because of marketing. And I'm like, this is bad. So I've been on this campaign to, like, mute everything that I'm not, like, really, really wanting um, I mean, we've all had these moments where you're having a face-to-face -face conversation and it gets derailed. Um, you know, you get onto the internet to look up something specifically, but then you get distracted by a tab that's already open and you're like, what was I on here for? Today I want to talk about spiritual distraction. And some of this fits into things like our phone use, uh, what we listen to. I mean, all that kind of stuff feeds into this, but but the distractions that I want to look at today are the ones that keep us from paying attention to God, from, from, doing, from seeing and noticing what He is doing right in front of us. Because distraction is one pitfall that we have that is really going to keep us from living our best life with Christ. Last week, we looked at the Pharisees, and we saw how defensiveness is deadly. Defensiveness is so dangerous because you can't speak to somebody who's defensive. They can't hear you. They've already decided that they're going to be right, and there will be no reasoning with them. Now, some of you might have sort of, you know, if we had sung the song, you'd have come forward last week. But, you know, this week is probably going to hit a little bit more of us because I think almost all of us live with some level of distraction. 
again, to get at this, I want to look at the story of Jesus uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, where we see Jesus heals a man who's been born blind. He's now a grown man. Jesus restores his sight or gives him sight for the very first time. And there are so many different reactions to him. You would think that everybody would just rise up and call him blessed and say, oh my goodness, who is this that can heal somebody who's been born blind? But that is not the case. We saw the Pharisees, they were defensive. We see that the disciples, they're distracted. And we see that the parents, we're going to meet them later, they're afraid. And we'll see the blind man, he's surrendered. Last week we looked at how the Pharisees, their defensiveness brought on condemnation. Uh, here's what Jesus has said throughout the Gospels. This is his consistent message. I have come for the sick. I have come for the sinner. I have come for those that don't have it together. And so Pharisees, since you say you have it all together, I didn't come for you. And that's a hard message for people in the church and people who play church to hear. Because if you've got your life together, I'm sorry to tell you Jesus didn't come for you. If you're not sick, Jesus doesn't have a cure for you. If you're not lost, then Jesus can't find you. Jesus is attracted to our brokenness, to our lostness, to our sickness. That's why he came. And all it takes is for us to put the wall down in order to connect with him. It's going to take a little bit more. We're going to have to actually pay attention to, to really see and to really enjoy all that Christ has for us. I want to look at this, this, the beginning of this interaction. We looked at it in depth last week, but here we go. John 9. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I really want us to all get the picture, because this man is there in the city of Jerusalem. He's probably sitting. He's got a cup somewhere, and he's just holding it out because he wants you to put something in there so that way he can buy himself his meal. And, and if you know anything about folks that have lost a sense, whether it's a sense of sight or a sense of hearing or, you know, whatever, that, you know, our bodies have this way of sort of amplifying all of our other senses so we pick it up. And so you can imagine this man, he's blind, he's probably got a really great sense of hearing, and Jesus is walking by, and the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, let's see this guy over here that can't see, you know, uh, who's sinned? Is it his sin or his parents' sin? And, you know, this guy's hearing all of this. He's probably heard all of it before. Nothing new. People walking by, this is what's going on. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, and while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now this healing creates a real uproar. Jesus has healed this man on the Sabbath day, which is a day that you weren't supposed to work. And so the Pharisees see Jesus not as a healer, Messiah, uh, nothing like that. He is a, you know, a ne'er-do-well, uh, rebellious, sinner, rule-breaker. And they're convinced that he is not doing anything good, but in fact, he's working evil. And so the Pharisees find out about all this, and, and they bring the man in for an investigation, and they ask him, you know, what happened? And he said, listen, I don't know. I couldn't see until like five minutes ago, so I didn't even see the guy's face. I don't know. He, there's just mud in my eye, and I heard a whoop, and then all of a sudden it's in my eyes. And 
Now I can see. I went and washed it off in the pool, and now here we go. And the Pharisees are like, well, this guy is a sinner. And he's like, I don't know about that, but I know I can see. And so then they like, they're like, you weren't born blind, so they haul his parents in. And they bring his parents in. And they're like, is this your kid? And they're like, yeah, it's my kid. It's our kid. And they're like, well, is, you know, why, is he, why is he seeing? And they're like, I don't know why he can see. But was he born blind? Yeah, he's been blind his whole life. Or he's like the world's greatest actor. Um, but yeah, he's been blind like his whole life. He can't see. And they're like, well, how can he see now? And they're like, we well, don't know because they're afraid. They don't want to tell anything about Jesus because they're afraid. We'll look at them later. And so then they're like, ah, we don't know about any of this stuff. And so they bring the man in again. And they're like, hey, let's go through this one more time. You know, it's, it's the bright light. It's the, you know, the sweat. Would you like a glass of water? You can't have it until you tell me the truth kind of interrogation. And the man's like, listen, I've already told you. And so long story short, too late, I know. Um, they, they throw the man out of the synagogue. And he's ejected from society. This is what happens. Jesus stirs this whole pot up. And all of these different reactions come. But the one I'm interested in today is his disciples. The disciples who almost missed the whole thing because they were so fixated on his sin. There's a lot of things that distract us. One of them is our prejudice. Or maybe we could change that word. If you want to put a different word there, you could say our expectations. You know, it's the thing that we think we're going to see. It's the thing that we're convinced should happen. You know, the disciples, they're stuck with this belief that everything bad that's happened to us must somehow be our fault. You're born blind, it's your sin, or it's your parents' sin. You know, uh, you contract some sort of illness, it's clearly unconfessed sin in your life. You know, you have some sort of failure in your business, God wasn't happy with you. And they've just got this idea that everything that goes wrong has got to be blamed on somebody. And so they're constantly, like, looking at people going, ah, oh, that, that guy's clearly a sinner. That's, you know, I can tell, I can tell because he's blind. Now, here's the thing. We see what we expect to see. We see what we expect to see, what we're looking for. You go out looking for something, guess what? You'll find it. Let me give you an example. So uh, my wife and I, we have a maroon Honda minivan, one of those Odysseys, and we'd had one before, and it um, needed to be replaced, and so we were getting another one, and, and we'd gone to different places, and we found one, and we weren't red minivan people. I mean, I know there's a big stereotype about people that drive red minivans, um, I don't know what that stereotype is, but that's, I know you drive, you see us drive by and you're thinking those are red minivan people. We're not red minivan people. We're just minivan people, you know, black, white, subdued blue, you know, like a beige, kind of like a manila folder. You know, that's us in the minivan department. But you see this like hot rod red minivan and we thought, you know what, it's really going to spice up the minivan game. Nobody has a red minivan. We're going to be somebody. And so we thought, man, you know, we had a blue one. Everybody's got a blue minivan, but nobody has a red one. And it's, it sort of felt good until we drove off the lot. And then, like, I noticed everybody has a red minivan. As a matter of fact, there's the exact same model of minivan that's also here at our church, too. So there's two out in the parking lot, ours and the Clarks. Um, that's, that's those. But we'd never noticed one before because we didn't have one before. We weren't convinced it was unique. I've talked to other people, you know, same kind of thing. You know, you look for something, you will find it. And this is the disciples. They're looking for sin. They're looking for problems, and they're going to find them. Jesus, however, he goes in the world looking for something different. He's looking for opportunities for God's power to be at work. If we go in the world looking for sin and brokenness and despairing things, we will find those. It's not hard. 
But if you go into the world and you say, God, I'm looking for you. I'm looking for opportunities for your grace to break through. Guess what? You'll start seeing a lot more opportunities for hope. So we can't be distracted by our prejudice or expectations. Second thing is we're often distracted by our problems. Now, I've thought about this, too, because I've, I've thought about this story a lot in the disciples, and they've seen Jesus do a lot of things. This isn't like at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's been doing this stuff for a while. Jesus has been out healing people. Uh, if you're just in the Gospel of John, he's done so many miracles that a guy by the name of Nicodemus, who's also a Pharisee, is convinced that Jesus must be sent from God because of the amount, the sheer volume of his miracles. If you follow along the miracles that John himself has recorded, Jesus has turned water into wine. He's healed a boy without even going to him. The dad came and said, hey, Jesus, come with me. Uh, we've got to go. My son is sick. And Jesus said, you just go home. Your son's already better. And he's healed him from a distance. Uh, Jesus has healed a man who was in, an invalid, couldn't walk. He's fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish. And he has walked on water. Clearly, Jesus is different. And so you might expect when this story starts that the disciples walk by and they see a man born blind and you would maybe be forgiven for expecting them to say, hey, Jesus, do it again. Do it again. Look, this guy, he's blind. You could make him see. How cool would that be? Everybody would love it. It'd be amazing. It would change his life. It would be awesome. Come on, Jesus, let's heal this guy. But instead of saying, Jesus, let's heal this guy, they're just fixated on the guy's problems. They want to theologize and philosophize about why he's blind and why he's a sinner and how bad he must be. Instead of being enthusiastic, they become self-righteous. But Jesus, he sees something different. The disciples see blindness, and they assume that that's God's last word on this man's sin. But Jesus sees the blindness. He knows the blindness is going to be sin's last word because he's about to deal with it. He's about to heal him. He's about to change his life. You see, the disciples, they saw problems. Jesus saw opportunity. Jesus was convinced that God could make a way in places where nobody else could. Now, listen, I know that some people are naturally more optimistic and that they can see possibilities where others see problems. But the truth is we all get to decide who has the last word. I know some of you, you're a pessimist. You know you're a pessimist if you call yourself a realist, okay? I know you. I know you people. And, and I know that you're saying, you know, this isn't going to work, you know. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But I've had these conversations with you where you've said, you know, I don't see how this is going to work. It's not going to work. It's, gonna be, it's, it's just going to fail. You can change that, like, sentence. You can say, I don't see how that's going to work. I'm not convinced it's going to, but if it is, it's going to be God that doesn't. I'm not convinced that, that I could do anything, but I believe that God can. You see, anytime we have a problem or an obstacle, it's really an invitation to faith. It's an invitation for us to step out and say, yes, I choose to believe. It means believing God can deal with our past. You know, often we're distracted by our past things that have been done to us, things that we have done. We get caught up on the sin that we're carrying or that has damaged us in some way. And we get so caught up on what's wrong with the past that we fail to see what God could do. You know, we're held captive, you know, with, with the things that have happened that we don't engage and we don't do anything and we don't believe anything can be done. We forfeit our present we forfeit our future. The disciples, they're guilty of this. Jesus encounters them for the very first time 
on the Sea of Galilee. They're fishing. And um, it says that the disciples, they've been fishing through the night. They didn't catch anything. And Jesus rolls up on these guys. I mean, these are fishermen. That's what they do for a living. And Jesus says, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you throw your, note on, your net on the right side of the boat? And the disciples, you know, aren't disciples yet. They're just fishermen. Um, you know, it, like, come on. Ha, ha, ha. Like, all of the fish are on the left side of the boat. Like, but we've only been fishing on the right side of the boat. Like, that's, like, come on. Get real, man. Um, they're tired, probably. They're cranky. And, and, and Peter says, all right, fine. You know, just, just maybe so you'll shut up, just so we can go home. Just, you know, for whatever. We'll throw the nets down on the other side of the boat. And you'll see that there's no fish out today. And so they throw the nets on the other side of the boat, and they haul in such a catch that they got to call in reinforcements. The boats start to sink. The nets start to tear. It takes a whole team of people to bring this catch of fish into the shore. And the disciples know that something has happened and that this guy is not just any other spectator. Here's how Peter reacts. Peter falls at his knees and says, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man translation jesus you don't know where i've been jesus you don't know what i've done you don't know the reputation that i have you don't know the problems that i've caused you don't know who i have been and the answer is jesus knows all of that but he says peter i've got a different job for you i i want to change your life this moment, Peter, this intersection where your past meets me is going to change the trajectory of your future. If you want to be who you've always been, Peter, you just tell me to walk away. But if you want to change your life, Peter, follow me. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, including their past, and they followed him. Friends, they're distracted. We're distracted. Perhaps you're distracted by your past. You know, the blind man could have been that way too. I'm sure Jesus, I mean, there was, believe it or not, at the turn of the century in Palestine, there were messiahs all over the place. They were falling out of trees, coming out of manholes. I mean, they, they were working at Starbucks until they got their big break. I mean, this is what's happening in the first century, okay? They are all over the place. And I guarantee you, this man has had some faith healer, some Benny Hinn character come up to him before, you know, slam in the forehead and say, be healed, and he's still as blind as he's been. This man could have said, listen, go take your spitty mud, go hawk that loogie someplace else. We're all stocked up on crazy here. Just put some money in my cup, huh, and move along. But that's not what this man said. He's surrendered in this moment. He's not going to allow his past to define who he is. And so he says, all right, we'll give it one more shot. We're distracted by our expectations, by our problems, by our sin. We're also distracted by the triviality. We've talked about this. People were getting at this earlier, right? This is all the stuff on the phone. This is all the stuff that doesn't really matter. It's the email that interrupts your, you know, your most productive work. It's that, you know, it's the whatever that you get up and get distracted by. The list is long. It's as unique as everybody else. But it's the stuff that doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's to me, it's like, um, like, I don't want to ruin the show for you, but has anybody ever seen Fixer Up or anybody seen this show? heard of the show oh come on really i'm gonna explain the whole premise if i don't see more of you like admit okay 
All right, so people, okay, good. Um, so these people are buying a house, right? Let me just run you through the premise, okay? They're going to buy a house. They got some money, and Chip and Joanna are there, and they're like, hey, we're going to show you three houses, and Chip's like, I've named all the houses, and he's like, this is like the barnyard find, and, and you know, they show them, they're all like hovels and dumps and all these things, and, and you know, people are always like, oh, I just don't know about this. It's just, you know, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if Joanna's going to be able to work her magic, and and you know and then they're like i don't know we just really trust you and then they're like talking like i don't know that it's gonna work this is gonna be a failure and just the drama is just building like a pinnacle it's just like now we get to see what's happening and it's amazing right and and chip's got it under control there's always like a roof problem or a plumbing problem or hvac problem that sends them back by ten thousand. we're like are they gonna be able to finish this thing like is it all gonna fall apart and i again i don't want to ruin it for anybody that's not seen it but it always comes together okay like it always comes together like, I've never seen him, like, pull that, like, like, that curtain thing open, and the people are like, oh, that's all right. I mean, Joanna, you tried. You did your best. Thanks. I mean, I, we got our money's worth, I suppose, but, you know, it's, it's not your best. That's never happened. They're always, like, crying. They're, like, weeping. They're like, Grandma's here with me right now. Like, how she ended up there, I don't know. But, you know, like, it's a life-changing moment. And really, if you, like, back it all up, like, what they did is they pruned the bush and they painted Okay, that's what happened. Like they pruned and they painted. Now inside there's maybe some more work, but on the exterior, that's all that's happened. They did a little yard work. They put a little paint on this building and now like we're crying. I mean, that's the thing. And like if you've seen this enough, like I, I'm always wondering like where do they find these people? Like that they're surprised by this. Because like if they called me, I'd be like, sure. Like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I want to live in Waco, Texas. Um, all right, so, I mean, yeah, that's an option, but, like, who's still surprised? And yet, all the time in our life, like, you know, we get hung up on all this crap in our life, and we're like, you know, why isn't God showing up? Well, it's because you're too busy on your phone. You're, you're looking at the paint color, and God's like, I got a whole, like, renovation I want to do in your life. This is the thing. Like, we get focused on the smallest, most mundane little things, and we forget that the story is so old. Like, Jesus has been raising the dead for 2,000 years. He's been healing the sick for 2,000 years. He's been putting lives back together for 2,000 years. He's been putting marriages back together for 2,000 years. He's been bringing kids back to their parents for 2,000 years. Friends, the story's old, and yet we get focused on this little stuff, the paint color, the problem. None of it's new. God can do all this stuff. We're so distracted by these things, little things dumb things. Recently, I just deleted my Twitter account, um, partly because I realized I was getting really mad at certain parts of the day. And I started to pay attention to my feelings, and I realized that I was mad every time I got on Twitter. And so I said, you know, I don't have to do this to myself anymore. It's like emotionally, I'm like slamming my hand with a hammer, going, why does my hand hurt every day at three? It's because I'm looking at this. I don't need that. You don't need that. What are the distractions in your life that you can cut out? You know, removing things that distract you is key. There's a bigger thing we're going to look at here in a second. It's what you're going to put your focus on. But we've got to get rid of those distractions, absolutely. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. I mean, you know what it is. 
And if you don't know what it is, look at your screen time usage on your iPhone, and you'll cry, and you'll be upset, and you'll bargain, but then you'll finally find a path to healing right there. You just delete that app. You just stop doing it. You set a time limit on yourself. You can do it. You know, we engage in distractions all the time. Why do we do it? It's because we don't want to think about our life. It's because we don't want to think about our problems. We don't want to think about our past. We don't want to deal with it, so we'd rather deal in triviality. And so you mask it. You distract yourself with TV, with an app, with Angry Birds, with drinking, with drugs. I mean, the list goes on and on. What is it for you? You get rid of it. And then once you've done that, fix your attention on the captivating beauty of God. You see, if you really want to fix your distraction, you've got to start looking for God at work and ask, where is God in this moment? Let me tell you, that would have been the disciples. Like They, they could have bypassed the whole distraction uh, of, the, of their expectations. If they said, Jesus, what are you going to do right now? And they would have been curious and excited, and they would have wanted to see what was going to happen. You know, Peter could have bypassed the distraction of his past if he said, how is God going to change my life now? How's the God that brought my people out of Egypt through the Red Sea? How is he going to bring me out of this mess? What's he going to do in this moment? You see, it's not just enough to get rid of the distractions. We've got to focus on something. We've got to turn our attention towards God. Look for him at work. Look for him in the moment. Look for him in the people around you. Ask, where is God in this person? Let me tell you, this is an incredibly powerful exercise to, to be engaged in. So often, I think, we, we think we're bringing God to a certain scenario. We're bringing God to the family dinner. We're bringing God to a particular place. God's already at work. Where is he? Can you see him? You can if you'll take a look. The disciples, one more text here, Mark. They said, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. All right. Here's that expectation. They're distracted by it. And Jesus says, hey, listen, you got to correct your thinking. He says, nobody who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Jesus says, you would have seen me at work in this person had you been looking. I mean, he was even using my name. Had you had the eyes to see and the ears to hear, you would have noticed you see, Jesus shows up in small places. He says, I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Jesus says, if you look for me, even in a cup of cold water, you will find me. But you only get to see him if you're looking for him. And you're only looking for him if you're not distracted. So we've got to stop the distractions, put them away, and say, God, today I want you to captivate me. I want you to hold my attention with what it is you're doing around. Because if you start to look for God at work, you'll see some amazing things. All right, fill in our chart here. The Pharisees, they were defensive. They were receiving condemnation. The disciples, they're distracted. Jesus gives them a gentle correction. You know, you know how it is. It's like, hey, hey, over here, pay attention. That's what he's doing. And I think that he's doing the same for all of us. He's inviting us to a place where we could put aside the distraction and see the things that are most important. I want to pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for this text that reminds us that just because you show up, just because you do miracles, it doesn't actually mean that we notice them. God, we get to see your miracles. We get to see your power when we're looking for it. 
because it's there. We've just closed our eyes to it. We've just decided something else was more important in the moment. So God, for everybody that's here and all the people that are joining us online, I ask that you would give us the awareness to cut out the distractions from our life and that you, Lord, would remind us through the power of your spirit to look for you, to be looking for you in every moment and person we meet. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to sing this song. We think of this sort of as a song of decision where you're kind of able to reflect and think about perhaps what that text we looked at is challenging you to. Uh, this morning, if, if you're going, man, I've got some distractions in my life, feel free to just pull out your phone and delete them here today. Go ahead. It's, it'd be great. Uh, if, if, you're, if you're thinking to yourself, man, I've got to be looking for God in some more ways, pray and say, God, would you help me to do that? Others of you, you've never, you know, you've never given your life to Christ. You've, you're not even sure what that's about. Maybe you want to pray with somebody. I'll be sitting over here. I'd love to talk with you. Uh, the person that came with you, brought you today, they, they'd love to pray with you. They'd love to talk with you about what it means to take that next step closer to Christ. Today, though, we can do that. God's at work. He's here right now, and he wants to do something in our lives. Why don't you stand? Let's sing. Just to breathe, longing just.